0: to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Amen, amen. We are, uh, we're continuing obviously on our series Pursue, everybody say Pursue. And uh, I'm really excited for today's message because uh, we're obviously going to talk about what we just saw. But, you know, as, as we've kind of uh, gone through the life of David, and, and if you have your Bibles, by the way, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, we're going to put it on the screen in a moment. But David uh, has been on the run, and uh, we're not going to show it now, but if you look on our website or on the app, uh, or if you've been with us the past couple weeks, we put up a map the last couple weeks, and we've seen David's run all throughout Israel in the land of Judah. And David runs from one place, and David runs to another place, and Saul is on the hunt. And even if you look at the map, it's like David's here, and then he's here, and then David's here, and then David's here. It's like, he's, it's like if you were running all across America, and somebody's, somebody's on the hunt for you. And after all of this time, as we saw, Saul finds David in a cave. And David has the chance, David has the opportunity to do something, and this is perhaps the moment, a very important moment in David's life, but perhaps the moment that sets David apart from any other king that we see in the Bible. See, David was a man that uh, that is described as a man after God's own heart, and we see that through exploits of faith, we see that through many different things, but this moment... Is perhaps the moment that made made all the difference in David's life and in his future kingship. See, David was there with Saul. And even though David was a a warrior and a man who who fought, and a man who fought enemies and, and battles, David didn't fight back. See, David had the opportunity, and there's almost this, like, a paradox of faith where sometimes we, the Bible says that we got uh, to take up the armor of God, or we have to take up the, the sword of the Spirit, and where we are uh, fight the good fight of faith. But, but then there are moments where we're not supposed to fight back. Amen. And David knew not to fight back. The title of today's message is David Pursued God and didn 't fight back I 'm going to say didn 't fight, fight back. David pursued God, and he didn 't fight back. David, in other words, knew when to fight, but he also knew when not to fight and this passage um, we 're going we're to read it, but we 're going to read it right now, but there' some subtleties that we want to highlight that we want to talk about today because what we saw in the in the skit was incredible and it's the moment that David kind of uh, kind of became he started to become a king that nobody had seen before but there's subtleties in the passage that show us and kind of identify when to fight and when not to fight and so here's the passage it says uh, uh, we're going to we're going to skip a couple verses uh, just for time today, but, st- the, but chapter 24 starts out, and it says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. And so Saul was, Saul was fighting one battle. Saul, and, and actually, Saul had been pursuing David, got distracted or sidetracked to go, to go uh, fight another battle. And then when he fought that battle, David, meanwhile, was, was fighting for somebody else. And as David fought for that, for that other group of people, they gave David up. So David has not only kind of been played and been backstabbed by Saul, but now even by the people that David's defending. And they give David up and they tell him, hey, he's over here. And so it says, he came to the sheep pens along the way. The cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Skipping ahead. David, David uh, confronts Saul and, and, and he says, See, my father, look at this place of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge of this hide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And it ends in this way. Saul replies and says, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for being in your house today, God. And God, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word, Lord, your words, Lord, your word can penetrate our hearts, oh God. Lord, it can show us, oh God, how you want to pursue us, oh God, but also how we're supposed to pursue you, oh God. So God, the way that, that David was found as a man after your own heart, we desire to be found like that today, oh God. So God, shine your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, oh God. Lord, open our ears so that we may hear all that your spirit says to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said? Amen, amen. amen. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but, um, but as, a, as a boy, uh, for me, as a boy growing up in the city of Chicago... Uh, I learned how to fight from a pretty young age, and my dad was, uh, was probably as close to a pacifist as you can come without being a pacifist, and yet, from my friends, from school, from video games, from TV, from being on teams, I learned how to fight, and I had no awareness of when to fight or when not to fight. So I would be in school, and if somebody said something wrong to me, I was like, it wasn't like an anger issue. It was one of those things where I was like, yo, nobody's going to say anything bad to me. I'm always going to defend myself. And I went through this season where I was always getting into fights, and my dad tried everything to tell me, like, hey, you better watch yourself. Like, he would tell me, I got into a fight on a baseball field, and he literally said, you're going to get yourself killed. And, and, and so he started to say these things. And there was one thing that he said to me that actually resonated with me. And my dad was kind of like an amateur baseball historian. So I grew up uh, knowing like all these random uh, uh, lineups from teams in like 1937 and these random stats of like this guy on this team. And then when he moved to this team, he had these stats. And my dad knew all of this. And like I, I acquired like all of it. And he said to me one time, um, he, he, because I, I loved baseball and, and I really admired my, my baseball heroes, and he said to me one time, he said, You know, Jackie Robinson didn't fight back. And the story of that, if you don't know, is that Jackie Robinson was um, the first player to, to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago with, with his friend Pee Wee Reese, but I want to highlight a different aspect of that. And, and, in 1945, actually for a few years, there was a general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, his name was Branch Rickey. And Branch Rickey um, not only wanted to, to integrate baseball, but even more than that, he was, he, was like, he was one of those guys that would find any edge that he could to win. And so when he was trying to find any edge that he could to win, he was like, well, some of the best players aren't even in the major leagues because they're African American. And so he knew that there was this daunting task of trying to integrate the major leagues, that there were laws against it and everybody would would come up against it. And so he went and he scouted and he spent a couple of years scouting saying, who's the best player to integrate the the major leagues? And he didn't choose the best skilled player, he didn't choose the most accomplished, but he had one aspect that he was really looking for. one time when he, when he interviewed Jackie, and he said, hey, this is what I'm thinking, I want you to be in the major leagues, he, was, he, was, he had this interview and he had a couple other people in the room, and, and the way that the interview kind of went is a little bit like this, and this is taken from a, a book that Branch Rickey wrote, and Branch Rickey said, Jackie, we can't fight our way through this. We have no army, there's virtually nobody on our side, no owners, no umpires, very few newspapermen. Many fans will be hostile. They'll throw bean balls at you, he said. They'll call you dirty names. They'll taunt you and attack you. Can you take all that without losing your temper? And the, the legend goes that even in the interview, he got up in, in Jackie's face and he's screaming at him. And he's calling him the names that he'll be called. And Jackie Robinson said, Mr. Ricky, are you looking for a man who's afraid to fight back? And Branch Rickey said, no, I'm looking for a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. See, in life, there are a lot of battles that we're supposed to fight, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of battles that we're not supposed to fight. And God, he says, a lot of times he says, hey, take up your, take up the sword of the spirit, take up, you know, fight the good fight of faith. But a lot of times God is saying, no, be still and know that I am God. Amen. Amen. So. You know, this is really found in the New Testament too. First Peter chapter 3, it says this, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil, what? With blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said eye for eye tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. See, faith, it doesn't take God's promises into our own hands. Faith says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight when God says fight, but I'm also not gonna try and take his promises into my own hands. I'm not gonna take control of the situation. I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna be at peace with the ways, that, with the ways of God and uh godliness you know when when we pursue god how many of you know we become more like god and godliness means that we have the ability to not fight back godliness means that we don't always have to have to fight back godliness means that when we get slapped on the cheek we can turn the other cheek also we don't have to put our fists up and so sometimes god is saying hey I want you to put down your weapons, and I want you to trust me. And, you know, when we don't fight back, God is able to kind of do a deeper work. And so what we see in the life of David in this passage is that when David doesn't fight back, When David knows what he's supposed to do, he says, you know what? This, I'm not going to fight back. God starts to do kind of three unique things in David. And again, these are more subtle in the text. So I want you to go back. I want to make sure that, you know, I want to encourage you to go back and read this passage and see the subtleties that are at work in David's life because how many of you know, you know, God, sometimes the deepest ways that that God works in our lives at home or, or in the workplace or wherever we're at is, is subtly. You know, you ever have something happen to you and you say, man, God, God really spoke to me, and you, you, try to, you try to communicate it to somebody and it, and it takes a while or it's hard. And, and in these passages, it's very clear, but it's also very subtle. It's kind of underlying. So um, the first thing that, that God does for David or God shows in this passage is that he's able to tame our nature. He's able to tame our nature. Look at this. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. So to really see what is happening here, you have to know David's life. You have to know David's nature. And David in the natural was a warrior, right? We saw that from the beginning. When the the lions and the bears attacked his sheep, what did David do? David didn't run. David didn't didn't put his his rod and his staff down. No, David fought. David killed the lion and the bear. When David showed up at at the valley of Elah, did he run? Did he say, oh, God's got, you know, yeah, Goliath is attacking, but, but God's got this. No, David what? He fought. David was a warrior. In the natural, he was ready to fight. From a young age, David was ready to fight. When he killed Goliath, he not only killed Goliath, he cut off his head. So, like, this is natural for David. This is natural. And right here, not, okay, so these caves, they're like, where, where David was, there are thousands of caves there. And so Saul comes in out of thousands of caves, and he comes into the very one that David's in. And out of all the caves, that's the one that Saul walks in. Now, not only that, but Saul's been after David for a while. And so when, when David, you know, I don't know about you, but when I grew up watching kind of like uh, movies with like, like different action movies, and you would see that they had the chance to get the bad guy. And if they didn't get him, it was like, okay, you lost now, right? But David, he has every chance to kill Saul. He has every every earthly reason, in a sense, to kill Saul. But his nature, and his nature is to do that. How I many know if he cut off Goliath's head? He could have killed Saul when he was in a vulnerable state. Yep. Right? A lot of times we're given we're given opportunities where other people or other situations are vulnerable, but God says, I want you to tame, I want to tame your nature. And, he's, and so David has every opportunity. David, in the natural, is to, his nature is to go and attack Saul. His nature is to take the kingship for himself. But what happens? David cuts off a corner of his robe. And even after that, David was struck in his conscience. For you and for me, we have to let God say, Hey, I want to tame your nature right here. You see, a lot of us, a lot of us are passionate like David. But a lot of us, we can, that passion can, can steamroll into anger. That passion can steamroll into, into a loose tongue. That passion can steamroll into us always trying to do something. When God is saying, no, no, no I want to use that, but I also want to tame your nature. For, for David, he knew that God could enable him not to fight back. See, when you allow God to tame your nature, you're allowing God to tell you when to fight and what? When not to fight. Amen. For me, you know, um, I'm kind of, you know, I grew up a Bears fan, uh, but I'm known on, on staff as kind of a sellout when it comes to the NFL. Um, And if you're a a football fan and you're a Bears fan, I'm sorry. Um, And I kind of, like, left that way uh, a few years ago, a number of years ago. And uh, I became a uh, New England Patriots fan. And, yeah, (laughs) boomy now, but, you know, when postseason comes, I'm the only one standing. And and it is what it is, you know? And... uh, You know, be upset now, but I root for the best coach ever, and the best quarterback ever, and uh, I joke, but, but I don't. Um, (laughs) And every year, so, you know, biases aside, every year, they set a new record in the playoffs. And that record, I mean they set a lot of records in the playoffs, so. Um, but every year they set one specific record and it's like every year they get better and better at it. And every single year, they have less and less penalties than the year before. And every year they set a record for it in the postseason. So this past postseason, they played three playoff games. In one playoff game, they had one penalty. In the next penalty playoff game, they had one penalty. Then in the Super Bowl, they had one penalty. And in football, football is all about controlled strength and channeled aggression. And so you can, be in a, you can be the best football player in the world, but if you can't channel that aggression, you'll get personal fouls, you'll get penalties, and it'll set your team back. So this is, this is what that looks like. So football field, the Patriots... You know, the Patriots are always scoring touchdown after touchdown. Um, But what happens, and look at this, the Patriots could be on the 40-yard line, right? And so as they're trying to come down the field, they're never set back by their own ability to not be able to tame their nature. Their nature... A football player's nature, when you're on the field and people are, are fighting and, and, and you're geared to do one thing and to hit people, that, that aggression and that nature needs to be channeled. It needs to be tamed. It needs to, you need to be able to say, okay, this is the time to be aggressive and this is the time not to. Amen. And after the whistle blows, when the, when the play is done, you can't keep being aggressive. Your nature cannot overtake you. And if you're at the 40-yard line and you get penalty after penalty after penalty, you're going to be back at the 10-yard line. You're going to be back at the 5-yard line, and you're never going to be progressing. And in the same way in the kingdom of God, if you're here and you're trying to go forward, if you can't tame your nature, you can't progress in your pursuit of God. So, you know, maybe... Maybe before, maybe you're like really clever with your tongue. Maybe you're like really funny, right? When I was in high school, I, was, um, I would wait, you know, people would like roast each other or like tell, you know, joke, joke at each other and make fun of each other. And I would just like wait in the, wait in the wings and be ready for when somebody would say something, right? <laughs> I was that guy that like was real quiet and then you say something and then you jab right there. But you know what? God can, but that can get you into trouble mm-hmm. because your heart is there and it's simmering and, and your words are starting to build up. And then before you know it, that comes out and you're not able to tame your tongue. Mm-hmm. Today, God can tame your tongue. Amen. Today, God can tame your anger. Amen. God can, God can t- have you sit back and say, okay, I don't need to fight this battle. Amen. This isn't worth it. God's word to somebody here today is I can tame your nature. Yeah, I made you that way, God says. I made you perfect, but I also want to tame it. His spirit can tame our nature. Amen? Amen. And by the way, this is the thing that differentiates us from animals. Animals can't tame their nature. I read a story and there was a woman and she had a pet cheetah and, and she, went, she went years and years and, uh, and after a few, you know, she had the pet cheetah and it was a baby and it was a, it was, it was a I don't know, not a puppy, but you know, a puppy cheetah, what a <laughs> baby, right? And, uh, and she has this baby cheetah and it gets older and older and then it attacked her and she almost died and they said, what happened? And they said, well, it grew up. Right, It did what was in its what? Nature, right? But you and me, we're not animals. You and me, we're children of God. We're sons and we're daughters of God. God can tame our nature so that he can use us. Second thing that that God does for David and that he's able to do for you and me is he's able to increase our trust. See, look at this. Again, it's, it's kind of subtle. But the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. That's what David's friends said to David. However, where did God say that? God never said that. God never told David, I'm going to deliver Saul into your hands. God didn't say that to him. His friends are saying, hey, this is the chance. This is what we've been waiting for. Out of, all of the, out of all of the caves, Saul could have become any cave, but Saul came here. This is your chance. His friends are saying, all right, now, now's the time. You know, you're a warrior, David. You're going to stand up? You're going to kill him? And David replies and he says, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed. Or I lay my hand on him. For he is the anointed of the Lord. Before we go any further. You know what David was trusting in right here? He was trusting in God's authority. Amen. Right? We talked last week about the authorities in our lives. And David was saying no. I trust in God's authority structure. I'm not going to take anybody, anybody else out. He says with these words... David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So let's say that like, let's say that this was David's chance, right? Because David, David had, it said earlier, Saul had 3000 men. David had 400, right? So he was way outnumbered. He was not going to go out and get them in the fields, David was not going to go out and chase him. If there was a chance, it was right here. But David said, no, even though I've been anointed king, even though right, Saul is not, is not a just king, even though Saul has treated me wrong, I am not entitled. See, he said, I trust in God's authority, I trust in God's promises because God said, I am going to be king, but it's not up to me to go take that out of my hands. Right? I've heard it said before that wisdom is knowing what to touch and what not to touch. And trust is the same way. Trust is knowing what battle to fight and what battle not to fight. See, sometimes you say, God... This is a battle that I just have to—I have to fight, and I have to get strength from you. But sometimes God, the battle is, God, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait on your promises. Amen. Trust is saying, God, your word, your character, your ways, your promises—they outshine all of the voices from friends, from peers from the world, from media, from culture, from comparison. Sometimes we we compare ourselves to others or we compare ourselves to something that we see and we say, I've got to get there, I've got to get that. I've got to grab that. I've got to take that and that's mine. And and I'm entitled to this. And I've worked so hard. And this is mine. And this person did this wrong to me. And this is mine. No. God is saying, hey, you may be hurt. You may have been, people may have been unfair to you, but God is saying, trust in me, because I'm not a man that I should lie. I will repay you for all of the, the things that you're going to undergo. So, when you trust in God, then you're under his, his way of blessing. When you trust in God, you're saying, God, what you've spoken to me before, I'm going to hold on to that and I don't need to grab it because it's going to be mine because it comes from you. Right? The, uh, you know, the thing that really sticks out about David is that, and, and I believe Pastor mentioned this last week, but David had this ability, and it was because he pursued God, it wasn't like some gifting that he had, because he pursued God, God gave him an ability to always be in step with where he was going, to not be off track, right? And and the, the way that you stay on track is you trust him with every step, right? And so, so, David, he trusted God all the time. But then once, once this opportunity came for him, he could have easily said, all of, all, of my, all of my time pursuing God has led me to this so that I have this opportunity to take the kingship. But no, he said, I'm going to continue to trust in God, right? So David, and you can't see, but, but David is... He's saying, God, I trust you on this step. And God, I'm going to stay in in line with you on this step and on this step. Why? Because the Bible says that God orders the steps of the righteous. Right? But he didn't make his own step. No, he stayed in step with God. He didn't trust the other voices that were coming in. He could have have easily justified it. You know? He could have easily said, I'm entitled to this. But entitlement is is almost the enemy of trust. Right? We say, God, God, you owe me this. Or God, I, I deserve this. No, no, we don't deserve anything. God gave everything. We deserve nothing. And we're here along for the journey with Him. Amen? He's good to us in spite of ourselves. The third thing, um, well, you know what? Actually, there's a, there's a book that I would recommend, and, and you'll see the, the image here. Uh, But there's a there's an author and he kind of paraphrased David's response a little a little differently. And and, uh, Gene Edwards says this in a tale of three kings. And and it's really about the the battle between David and Saul and three kings is is, uh, God, David and Saul and the differences that they had. Um, and this is what he says this is kind of his paraphrase of, of David's response to his friends and it's so powerful and he says because why won't you kill Saul they say because once long ago he was not mad he was young he was great great in the eyes of God and men and it was God who made him king God not men better he kill me than I learn his ways better he kill me than I become as he is I shall not practice the ways that cause kings to go mad. I will not throw spears, nor will I allow hatred to grow in my heart. I will not avenge. I will not destroy the Lord's anointed. Not now. Not ever. The key indicator of whether we should, should fight or not fight a battle is, will that battle, will fighting that battle make you less godly? You know? You ever get into a, into a battle and you say, you know what? I'm going to stand for righteousness or I'm going to stand for truth. And they won't have that. But, but if you start to become less godly in your dealings, that's a battle you're not supposed to fight. Right. Hallelujah. David said, I, you know how I know whether I'm supposed to fight or not? If I fight Saul, I'm being less godly. You know how he knew that? You know how he could discern that? He was a man after his own heart. Amen. God, make us people after your own heart. The last thing is this. When we pursue God, he draws out our humility. He makes us humble. Being humble is seeing God for who he is and then seeing us for who we are. You know, David, he could have easily looked down at Saul Right, He could have easily, in the earthly sense He had every reason to look down at Saul But if you look down on other people If you look down on other things You don't see what's above you You don't see who's above you Amen. And this is, this is what David says David says to King Saul He says, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, I'm nothing I've got four hundred men, and I'm not even pursuing you. I'm not going to do anything to you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, "Hey, he saw, your pursuit is not only unjustifiable, like it's 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 worthless, but but there's no point to it. There's there's nothing that I'm going to do to you. His self, you know." David is kind of self-deprecating himself. And he's saying, he's doing that to assure Saul that your pursuit is not necessary, nor is it worthy. He says, Saul, you know, you're a king. You're, you're the king of this land. Say, saying, you're my king too. You shouldn't be, who, who am I that you're chasing me? You've got these other battles to fight. I'm a dead dog compared to those, compared to those armies. I'm a flea compared to those armies. I'm nothing Andrew Murray said this about humility Andrew Murray said humility is the only soil in which the grace is root the lack of humility is the sufficient explanation of every defect and failure humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with others it is the root of all because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him, as God, to do all. So I just want you to remember, humility, it's the soil in which all of the other graces grow. And so you know what that's saying? That's saying that that the more that, when you trust God to fight your battles, you actually grow in God. But growing in God requires humility. So as you become humble, me and remember, humility is seeing God for who he is and us for who we are. So it doesn't mean that you think of yourself as like as as bottom dollar or as dirt, but it does mean that you see God as supreme. Amen. And you see yourself as a chosen person of God. Right? You know what David was, David was, I'll get back to that, but David was esteeming King Saul and saying, Saul, you're a king. You have been chosen by God to be in this place. And without really saying it, Saul recognized that. And he said, he said wow, you're right. I'm chosen to be in this place. I need to act better. Hallelujah. And so, so when you say, God, your like, humility is seeing God where he is and you where you are, you're not saying, hey, I'm, I'm junk. You're saying, I'm chosen by a supreme God, by a supreme being to act out on this earth, to pursue him, but to be a representation of him. And so when you do that, that is the soil, humility is the soil in which all other graces grow. And so you know how you grow in God? You grow in grace, the grace of wisdom, the grace to be able to spend time with him, the grace to be able to communicate, the grace to be able to witness, the grace to be able to intercede. But all of those graces, where do they grow? Humility. So, as you grow in humility, you grow in God. The more we spend time with God, the more we see Him for who He is and who we are. And here's the thing it's easy not to be harsh, not to be critical, not to be petty when you're humble. When you say, God, I just want to see you today for who you are. I don't want to look down, I want to look up. You know, um, I've, growing up, I would watch uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a recent documentary that came out about him, and um, I'll admit I've seen it three times. (laughs) And he said, to make somebody feel less than who they are is the ultimate evil. And David, he had... You know, not only did he have every opportunity to kill him, as we talked about, but here, even here in this passage, when he confronts Saul and he says, Saul, I could have killed you. I could have killed you, but you're king. You're the anointed one. He could have said, hey, Saul. And he could have, he could have bit him with his tongue. He could have said, man, you've done this and you've done this and you're junk and you're nothing. He said, Saul, you saw it. He bowed. He bowed. He said, Saul, you're the king. You're the anointed one. He could have gloated. He could have bragged. But even David, he saw the best in Saul. And so you know what? I see from this, I'm like, God, even when I'm treated unfairly, even when you're treated unfairly, even when the when the world fights at us and, and battles and attacks us, we don't need to, we don't, you know, this there's so much in our world about strategy and, and try this and, and do this and find the angle. We don't need to find the angle. We don't need to be, we don't need to be trying to trying to be cunning and say, well, this is the way to respond, and this is no no. You know what the way to respond is? Get low. Amen. Get low, esteem others, Amen. esteem God, show them who God is. And so, I want to close. But here's the thing. We don't need to find the angle. We don't need to manipulate the situation. God will find us. God knows your address. God knows where you're at. God knew that that David was in that cave. There are thousands of caves in that that region. they're, They're still there today. God knew exactly what cave David was in. God knows exactly where you're at right now. He knows where you're going home to. He knows where you're going to work to tomorrow. He knows the people in your life that you need to talk to, that that you have to communicate with on a daily basis. He knows all of the dealings that you have. And you know what he says? God's saying, you know what, maybe for that battle, maybe you need to put down the weapons. Hallelujah. Let's stand. We're gonna stand, we're gonna sin. But even as I was praying this morning, we're going to sing this song, and we know it, as God, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're never going to let me down. For David, he was in the cave, and he said, God, you're never going to let me down. God, I'm being attacked on the right, I'm being attacked on the left, and and even now, my nature is telling me to do one thing, but God... You're never, ever going to let me down. I can trust you, oh God. So come on, close your eyes. We're going to sing. But just make this your prayer to to the Lord today. God, we pursue you, oh God. We declare your goodness, oh God. You're good, oh God, in every single way, oh God. Every one of your ways are good, oh God. Every single one, oh God. Lord, you're always good, oh God. You never take a break from being good, oh God. you above ourselves oh god god we trust you above every weapon oh god god we trust you oh god above every voice oh god we trust you oh god to go before us we trust you to go behind us oh god to be on the side of us oh god you're our guardian oh god will you fight for your people oh god in Israel? get in the way of you fighting our battles. God, we trust you today, oh God. We declare, oh God, that God, we trust you to fight our battles because you never let us down, out, oh God. You never have and you never will, oh God. So God, we pray, go before us, oh God. What we pray, oh God, that you would tame our nature, oh God. That God, we would put down our weapons, oh God. And that God, we would believe that we can be still and know that you are God. That God, you will clear the way Single one of our steps, oh God. And so God, I pray for any battle that is represented in this room, whether it's physical and healing, whether it's an emotional battle, a mental battle, a relational battle. God, I pray, oh God, a spiritual battle. God, I pray that we would put our weapons down, oh God. That God, as we pursue you, oh God, you would help us discern not to fight the battle today, oh God. Word that we would put down our weapons, oh God. And that God, we would declare, oh God, that you, oh God, can fight every one of our battles and you can bring victory, oh God. So God, we trust you today. We put you in the highest place. And God, we know... That the same way that you were faithful to David, oh God, you're going to be faithful to us. You're not a man that you should lie. All your promises are yes and amen. They are finished. They are going to come to pass, oh God. So, God, we believe in, oh God, and we trust you. Come on, give a clap to the Lord. We trust you, oh God. You're good. We thank you for this time. We ask that you would bless us as we go, oh God. Lord, may our hearts, oh God, in pursuit of you, continue to be in pursuit, even on our way home, and even at home tonight, and tomorrow, and throughout this week. God, we love you. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said...